Aren't you glad you're in a place where God's Word and the worship of God is held up every week? And that's why we gather together every Sunday, is to see the face of God and to guard ourselves to learn how when we go out of here, we can guard ourselves against the attacks, as Jonathan was just praying, against the attacks of the devil. You've got your Bibles open to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're in this series of lifeguard, how God can be our lifeguard, how the Word of God can guard us against the attacks that are in this world that you faced this week. As we get to chapter 2, we're going to talk about fake teachers. Now, one of the most popular uh, phrases, or maybe not popular, but a very common phrase in our language in America right now is fake news, right? Fake news. And what is fake news? Well, fake news is anything that you don't like about something that someone else is saying, right? So politicians all accuse each other of fake news. And news commentators and entertainers and all these people, they talk about, well, that's just fake news. That's a a nice way to just dismiss. And we all do it to each other. Now, it is important to be able to discern through fake news, right? Is there fake news in America? Oh, yes. And you need to be smart and just don't repost everything to Facebook, okay? It's not all true. We do need to discern fake news. And fake news is dangerous and could actually impact the future of our nation. But what we're going to talk about in the next few minutes is far more important than understanding fake news because it doesn't just impact our nation. It could impact your eternity. Fake teaching. Fake teaching. Our world, America, And as we're going to see here today, even our church circles are filled and impacted by fake teaching. And so as we take a look at 2 Peter chapter 2, we just roll right out of chapter 1. And as you remember, when Peter wrote this letter, he didn't put chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 20. He just wrote a letter to the saints that were scattered abroad. And so we roll right out of chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And remember, he ended there talking about how nobody can just make up truth. Truth came from God. He was God-breathed. And it came through holy men. In verses 21 there, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He says, so we've got truth. We don't have to worry about that. So now he keeps talking and he gives us a warning. And let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter Uh, Two, But there also were false prophets among the people. Remember, he's talking about Israel. He just said the truth had come through holy people that God had spoken to, and they wrote Scripture. But he said even in those days, there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction." And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, and circle that word there in your notes, keep that in mind. We're going to talk about that in a moment. They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. This teaching today is a warning, okay? God loves us enough to warn us against the fake teaching that can come in and disrupt our lives. He talks about false prophets that were in the Old Testament that Israel had to deal with. And we have prophets today, the the New Testament tells us, they do a little bit different. But in the old days, they would foretell what God was going to do, and, and they would foretell the truth, and today we foretell the truth right now. 
But he says there were prophets that were false, and there will be in the church teachers. Now, why does he switch the word up? We don't know. It may be that there were more prophets that were having to foretell what God's message was because they didn't have the completed word of God. And it may be that he mentions false teachers because now we have the word of God. We have the 66 uh, writings. And so we've got those. And it's not so much that someone's going to stand up and give a false prophecy, although people do that. The challenge is in our church circles, we will have people, men and women, who stand up and give false teaching. And so these are people, again, this is not politicians we're talking about. These are not news commentators that you don't like. These aren't, you know, pontificators on social media. That's not them. What he's writing about is false teachers, and they're not out there. They're in the church circle. You say, in Thomas Road? Well, hopefully not in Thomas Road, but in the church circle of American e even evangelicalism. We have to watch out. Who are you podcasting right now? Who are you streaming Whose conferences are you going to? Who are the men and women that you're listening to or reading and, and watching their posts go, man, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. We've got to be very careful because they're the ones standing on our stages, they're in our groups, and they're bringing false doctrine. And so as you take your notes, we're going to kind of dig in here, and, and I, I, this is a little awkward, but I just kind of felt, as God's Word says it, I think today that it's important in this, in, in this passage, he's talking about false teachers, fake teachers. And we have to be real careful about them, but I just think we kind of need to name some false teachers in here today. And I think we just need to put their names up on the screen because if we never say their names, how are we going to know, right? So I, I, this may be a little awkward, but I want to go ahead and write the names of some false teachers in America right now, some fake teachers. Okay, ready? Here we go. Nah. <laughs> that was a great moment up here. There was this whole moment where there was a lot of people going, <gasps> and then some of you sorry rascals go, go get them. Yeah. Give me that pain. I'll come up there and write it down. I'm not going to name false fake teachers. Why? Because we need to understand first who are fake teachers. Here's a concern in the church, brothers and sisters, is that sometimes we are throwing around the name, well, he's a heretic. She's a false teacher. Be very careful who you call fake teacher. Amen? Be very careful. There have been pastors that have stood on this stage in years past at conferences. The people on social media were going, well, that's a fake, you know, that's a false prophet. They're, they're, they're teaching heresy. Be very careful what you label as a fake teacher. And so instead of writing down the names, and by the way, we're not afraid to in our church context, in our life groups, we would guide you. Lewis, our adult pastor, we would guide you. Hey, those are teachers we'd rather not. We're not going to throw rocks at them, but we would steer you away from in your group studies. But before we write down names, we need to understand actually what a fake teacher, what a, a fake teaching is. Because some of us will abuse it. Some of us will call everybody a fake teacher. And it's because we don't like their style or a teaching that they did, but it's not about their whole life. Now, others of us, though, just to be sure, for this chapter, chapter 2, he is warning, while there are some of you who like to label everybody that, there's probably a bigger problem where a lot of us don't even recognize fake teaching when we hear it when we see it. 
And so it's far more important to have the actual uh, definition of what a false teacher, what a fake teacher is. You see, because here's, here's the deal. Make this distinction. Get this right here. Bad teaching is not false teaching. You with me? Bad teaching is not false teaching. Have you heard bad teaching before? Please don't raise your hand right now. Don't point. But all of us have been guilty of some bad teaching where you take a, a portion of scripture and I've had bad teaching where, where that paragraph, you just, you, you, you bumbled it. And good men and good women who teach are going to have some bad teaching sometimes. There are some people out there that are just bad teachers. They love Jesus. They're just not good teachers. And maybe they're too devotional. They're too warm and fuzzy. And they, they put these weird applications on passages that aren't really true. There's a difference between bad teaching and false teaching. So pray about that as you're looking and as you're uh, reading through and listening to what people have to say. But what is a false teacher? What's fake teaching? Well, he has it right up here in the verse there. He talks about covetousness and he talks about exploiting people with deceptive words. So here's the definition of a fake teacher. And you need this for your own walk with God and for your family so that you can guide them. False teachers twist truth. They twist truth. So here's the thing. False teacher is not just standing on the corner saying some weird things like, I worship the God, you know, Bobbly Book on Mars. It's not some weird thing. These are people that are quoting scripture, right? They're quoting scripture and it, and it smells like scripture, it feels like it, but you know something's wrong, don't you? Have you ever watched somebody and you go, she sounds good, but I don't know. He's preaching with an open Bible, but I just don't know. So they're going to take truth, and four times in this passage, he's going to talk about that false teachers take the truth and they twist the words. So you're always going to see God's word in there, but it's going to go in a different direction. They twist truth, and here's the second part of the definition, to trick people. They're twisting the truth so they can trick people, so they can deceive people. And you're going to see this word deception all through this chapter as you go through it. Why are they doing that? They're doing it for their gain, for their gain. So that's a false teacher from this verse 3 here. Someone who t twists truth, God's word, to deceive, to trick people for their gain. What is their gain? What are they going to get from it? Well, three things you'll see in this chapter. Uh, six times it just talks about pride. I mean, they are, dis they are loud and arrogant and boastful. They love the attention. Go to their website. It's all pictures of them from different shots. It's all about them. They love having the preeminence in the church. Uh, John talks about that to Gaius in Second John, uh, the letter of Second John. But he, um, he says here that it's for their gain that, that these teachers are just getting prideful from it. Another part of their gain is actually through prosperity. Yes. Three times in this passage, it's going to say that the false teachers get financial gain for their lifestyle from their tricking of you. And so what they say is, if you keep coming to me, I will give you God's word and I will show you the way of life. If you buy my book or uh, subscribe to my podcast or, or sign up for my coaching group or whatever it may be, buy my study, and that is going to gain them and they're going to live 
large lifestyle. Sadly, tragically, six times in this passage, it says that the gain that they have is pleasure. Pleasure. It says they love to party, they love the flesh, they love to just take things and, and spend it on themselves, but it actually talks about sensuality and sexual immorality. And have we not seen that in the church world where there are teachers who secretly you found out that they were teaching people and they were misleading the sheep and they were sleeping with the sheep. And in many cases, sad, sad, tragic cases, they were sexually abusing people in the church. By the way, if that's you, if you've been harmed that way, that is not the true shepherd of God, amen? The true shepherd loves you and would never abuse you. And I pray healing on your life. But some people have actually been abused because of these false teachers. That's what they are. And so when you, before you start saying, well, he's a false teacher, she's a false teacher, be careful, put it through scripture. They have teaching that leads away from Jesus. Anybody whose teaching is taking you away from Jesus Listen, pay attention, watch out for that. And they're usually denying the core beliefs of Christianity. Now, we could get into an argument today, uh, and I'll just say this. I think I'm safe here. It's not that they're just discussing, well, I think there's a rapture or I don't think there's a rapture, okay? There's primary issues, there's secondary issues, and tertiary issues, right? It's not that, well, she said there's not a rapture, and so she's a, she's a false teacher. That's a heresy. Well, be careful. There's good people that disagree on Scripture. We hold to seeing Jesus in the rapture. That's what our understanding of Scripture is. It's different than saying Jesus is not coming back, right? He'll never come back. There's no return of the king. We're just on our own. Now, that's heresy. So be careful as you work through what's heresy, what's really false teaching, fake teaching, and what's just bad teaching or different kinds of teaching. Now, he goes on to talk about here in chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. He gives a, he talks about there's two destinations for those who follow different kinds of teachings. We can have good teaching or bad teaching, and watch where the destination, because remember, teaching is going to take you somewhere. The teaching that you're listening to is a map, it's going to take you somewhere. You need to consider where that's taking you. That book that your wife is reading, you ought to consider where is it taking her. That preacher or that, that speaker that your husband loves, you ought to consider where is it taking them. Those, those, those people that your kids are listening to, where is it taking them? So he talks about, and he kind of goes on a, ram, uh, a little ramble here on a, on a sidebar, but here he gives an example of two destinations of teaching. He says, for if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing to the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered, unri uh, delivered righteous Lot, this is an interesting one, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then 
the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. So he kind of goes on a a long run-on sentence here, but he gives some examples of what the destinations are going to be for following good teaching or fake teaching. Which way does it go? Well, in this passage, you see different names. And here's what he says, first of all. He says, some teaching will reserve people. They're going to reserve people. What are they going to reserve people for? Judgment judgment. Two or three times he, he says, they are reserved for judgment. I'm reserving their, them for punishment. I have a place in my prison for them. And who are the examples he gives? He talks about the angels. And these are angels of God who had become demons and fallen. And uh, some Bible teachers think this is the Genesis 6 episode where there were angels, demons, who tried to, in a mysterious way, infiltrate and impact the actual DNA of human beings. And there was immorality involved, and we're not exactly sure all what happened, but God judged them, and he, he cast them out. And then secondly, we, he talks about the ancient world. He says, just like in the ancient world, who was listening to bad teaching there, he says, in the ancient world, uh, Noah was preaching, but the world was so sinful that I had to reserve it for judgment. And then he gives the example of Sodom. Sodom to this day, if you talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, well, that place is a Sodom and Gomorrah. Centuries later, we still think of Sodom and Gomorrah being a picture of a sinful town. And that's what the Bible uses it as. Because of their sexual immorality, because the Bible says of their greediness and inhospitality, God judged them. Matter of fact, he rained fire and brimstone literally on them. But he also says these false teachers, just like the angels, the demons, just like the the ancient world, and just like Sodom and Gomorrah, these fake teachers are reserved for judgment and destruction. That's pretty strong, and that's pretty scary. But here's a beautiful word. He says they're reserved for that, but good teaching does what? It preserves. Good teaching preserves people. It holds them together. It heals them. It, it makes them go the distance. And this is where he talks about, he says that Noah was preserved through those 120 years. And then he got into a boat and the Lord preserved him and took care of him. And then he gives a weird illustration. He talks about a guy named Lot. Now, would you think of Lot being the example? Yeah, there's a real righteous guy. You know, I want to be like Lot. Lot was a righteous man, relative of Abraham, but remember, he looked at Sodom, and then he moved towards Sodom, and then he's living in Sodom, and he's one of the leaders. And by the time the angels come to try to get him out in Genesis, it's a tragic story. His family has gotten sucked into the worldview of Sodom, and they don't even want to go away. His wife looks back. It's a horrible story. But interestingly enough, in the middle of that story, God still says, calls him, and he says this two or three times in the New Testament, Lot was a righteous man. But notice there what it talks about. It's so sad that he was there, and he was dwelling among them, and he was tormented. He was vexed. There was, he was, there was filthy conduct. Do you ever feel like you're Lot? 
Are you in a scenario, or have you put yourself in a situation where you're just, sin is streaming at you all the time? And you've put yourself maybe in a place where your soul is vexed and it feels like you're in a battle every day. Now, can we get away from all sin? No. We're in this world and you're going you're gonna to face hard times at school, at work, in your neighborhood, sometimes in your own house. But I'm talking about people like Lot who actually went into a friendship circle of sinfulness, who went to a place to work where he knew what the ethics would be, where, where, where they knew what was going to happen. And yet the beautiful part of this passage, he says that if God could do that, if he could preserve him with good teaching from the angels, if he could do that, what can he do for us? It says that he can deliver you and I out of temptation. Amen, church? Aren't you glad that the Lord can rescue us from that? Some of us, you might be in a situation where you're right close to sin. Maybe you are flirting with, literally, and coming up to adultery. And you're in a spot where you're like, it's like, oh, I'm, almost, I'm right there. But the Lord knows how to send his angels in and rescue you out. But you've got to ask, and you've got to cry out, and don't be destroyed with those who were. Well, he continues to, to read here, and, and there's more identity here. There's more uh, identification of the false uh, teachers. Look at verses 12 through 19. But these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand, and will utterly perish in their own corruption, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions. Watch this. Remember, they're not out there in the wicked world. While they feast with you, they're in your group. They're in your church sometimes. They're in our conference circles. Watch out. He says, they are spots and blemishes. They feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. And it circled this next phrase because we're going to talk about it. Enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are cursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water. They are clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. Look at all these phrases. By the way, this will help you as you're looking at teachers. You'll begin to see these phrases pop out of Second Peter uh, chapter 2 and say, boy, she acts like that. He is like that. But what's the strategy of the false teacher, of the fake teacher? Two things that they do very simply in this whole passage. They entice and they exploit. They entice and they exploit. They entice with good teaching. Do you want to know how to go deeper with God? Hey, do you want to know how your marriage can go to a level it's never been? Do you want to know how, how you can parent your kids? Do you want to know the secrets of the Old Testament? Do you want to know? Do you want to know? They entice you, 
But once they've enticed, then they exploit. Once they've enticed with the hand on the back, come on, walk with me, I'll teach you. All of a sudden that hand goes down to the pocket and they're picking your pocket. They are exploiting people with false teaching. He gives the illustration of Balaam, who was a false teacher that actually got some good messages from God, but he tried to curse the children of Israel and God wouldn't let him. But it says from the uh, Moabites to the Midianites that Balaam was used to actually, in the book of Numbers, to, to take Israel off the right path. And talks about that in the New Testament. Balaam is, is an example of, of false teachers. And what does it say about him? It says, he says, his way went what? Astray. A false teacher, their way will go astray. You watch, and this is important, watch their teaching over two years, three years, five years. Here's the problem with us in the church. A new teacher arrives on the scene, and what happens? We all go buy her book because she got posted a million times. Or a new guy speaks at a conference and we all go by and we start following him. But what happens the second year, the third year, the fifth year, the 10th year? It's not to say that you can't go listen to new teachers. Why? Jerry Falwell was a new teacher one time. Jesus was a new teacher at one point. John the Baptist was a new teacher. But what has to happen? We've got to watch the trajectory of their teaching over time to really know who they are. And here's what it says, just another statement there in your notes. False, fake teachers are loud, they're arrogant, they're disrespectful, they're central, greedy, empty deceivers. That's what they are. And who do they target? Who do they target? They target, and this is a big one, unstable souls. Unstable souls. They go after not the people that are grounded in God's word. They go after the Christians who know enough scripture, who just post verses with pretty uh, balloon backgrounds on social media for the day. That's nice, but they've never read the whole context of it. They They know people that know enough of scripture, but that's who they go at. They're not stable. It's Christians who are un stable in their ways. How do you get stable? You get stable by anchoring yourself in the complete word of God. Amen, church? You got to take all of it, not just part of it. And so the answer here isn't just, well, I know. So so he said, don't go after false teachers, fake teachers. So I got it. I'm going to find me a good teacher and stick with her. I'm going to find a good teacher and I'm going to listen to all of his stuff and buy all of his stuff and I'll reject the other stuff. Okay, but the issue is this. What if that teacher goes astray at some point? My wife, years ago, there was a great Bible teacher, years ago, a female Bible teacher, and really helped my wife through a hard time. And we were listening to her stuff. It was great stuff. And we actually went to a conference of this woman years and years ago. And I dropped her off, and Chris was there. And she'd come out day by day. There was two or three days. And about the second day, she came out, and she said, you know what? something's not right in there. And it was really great because she was grounded in word. And this female Bible teacher years ago, she had just started to stray and add more stuff and she was starting to get gain. And within two or three years, this woman had gone way off the rails and you don't even know her name today. She just disappeared off the scene. We've got to watch it because even a good teacher can go astray. So just don't anchor. The point here is don't just anchor in a good teacher 
anchor in good teaching. In good teaching. Even the Bereans, Paul, the apostle who wrote the new part of the New Testament, he's teaching the Bereans, and what happens? They're, they've got the Old Testament scrolls, and they're listening. I know that Paul, he's a good guy. I've listened to his podcast, but you know what? I want to make sure he lines up with Scripture. Don't ever listen to a new teacher without God's Word in front of you. Listen and compare to what is actually going on. We have to be careful, and we have to be stable. We have to anchor in God's Word. Let me ask you, what is unanchored in your life as you listen and as you follow, uh, talk to people, and, and you listen to teaching, what part of your life is unanchored? We've got to anchor ourselves in all of God's word. You know that uh, I, am my, I am my father's son, Harold Wilmington, who studied this book uh, his entire life. And he always taught me that we should live our life out of this book. Now, there's extremes, of course, I know. There's the extreme of, well, some people worship the Bible, and they're going to argue the Bible, and they worship the Bible. Now, I'm reminded, it's not Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the message of God. Church, do you believe it? This is God's message. We don't worship it. We worship God, but this is his message. And he revealed, as Peter told us, he revealed his message to us, 66 writings preserved over time. We're living in a day when even friends of mine are starting to use a phrase because they've come through abusive teaching in the past, maybe legalism. And I have some friends say that they are doing what? Deconstructing. They're deconstructing their teaching. They're deconstructing their Christianity. Some of them even call themselves ex-evangelicals now. And by the way, if you've been abused by bad and legalistic teaching... I have compassion on you. Jude tells us to have compassion, mercy on those who struggle with doubts. And if you're trying to get away from that, that's deconstruct. But listen to me. Don't de-Christ. Don't walk away from Jesus. If you had toxic faith in your life in the past, bad experiences, you're getting shivers right now. If you had toxic faith that was drilled into you, please get the toxins out. But don't get the faith out. Leave the toxins, uh, take the toxins out, but don't take the faith away. Are you a seeker trying to find the truth? I have friends that are really trying to understand the truth. Yes, seek. But if you go too far, the seeker becomes the what? The wanderer. And to some of you, I might ask that, that even are, are listening. Is it that you're still trying to find God's truth? Or is it that you have found the truth and you don't like what it looks like? That's a difference. Church, we've got to be anchored in this word. I'm a grammatical, historical reader of this book. I read it literally. I know that Jesus isn't physically a door. I read text with text in context. But just as dad said, and he used to quote kind of that old statement years ago, and he'd be studying, and I'd ask him a question, dad, what about this passage? And sometimes he'd just go, well, most of the time he'd say, well, I have a book on that, and he'd give me that. But sometimes he would say, you know what? I don't know. Are there parts of this word that you don't understand? There are for me. But dad used to quote that old statement. He says, son, if you accept this as the living, as the word of God, you have a pound of problems. What about all those numbers situations in the Old Testament? What about those passages where it says God said go into villages and just like wipe them out? 
What about Mark 16? What's that about? What does Hebrews 6 mean? What's this? What's that? There are some difficult passages in here. We're not going to understand it all down here. There are. He said, son, you're going you're to have a pound of problems if you take this as the word of God. He said, but that other side is true. But if you deny this, you got a ton of trouble. You got a ton of trouble. When you start picking and choosing, well, I like that book. I don't like this book. This means that. This means that. I don't mean foolishly. Well, it's just the word of God. No, we need to read all of it. But folks, we need to be anchored in the word of God. Life groups, you need to be studying the word of God. Listening on the radio, streaming, you need to be in the word of God, anchored so that you can't be, as James says, you can't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. I was taught by my parents to anchor in the word of God. This is actually one of my dad's Bibles. This is the last one he was using, and I kind of preach from it now. And I learned how to anchor in God's word. Folks, we need to anchor in the word of God. As he finishes up this chapter, he just says again, stay away from false fake teachers. He said, they're like dogs that return to the vomit and they're like pigs who get a bath and then go wallow in the mud again. Don't go after fake teachers, but immerse yourself in the holy word of God that is able to give life. What's Peter want to tell us from this? Just very simply, he just is saying to us, beware Balaam. Beware Balaam. This week, be warned as you listen and read and follow. Make sure that you are following someone that's anchored here in the word of God. And then, this may sound strange to us, but here's an encouragement for you today. Follow Lot. Follow Lot. You say, Lot? But notice which way. Don't follow him into town. Follow him out of town. If you need to be saved from a bad scenario, the Lord is able to rescue his saints out of temptation. And it does start with grounding yourself in good thinking. My worldview is the word view. And I think it's a good way to be. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, just want to pray for us. It's, a, it's a, just a warning teaching today, right? It's a very simple teaching, but it's a warning to us that in the church, church world, there will be fake teachers. And we have to guard ourselves for teaching that would rob us of joy and would take us away from the truth. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just want to pray over us, and Scott's going to come, and we're going to worship our way out of here today. But I want you to, as, as I pray, I want you to commit yourself again to read God's word, to study it, to memorize it, to study it in your life groups, to teach it to the children that we're trying to get some of you to do, be workers in. Beware the Balaams. And then for some of you today, how many of you with your heads bowed and eyes closed would just say, Lord, God, I, maybe you're not as bad as Lot, but you just need the Lord to rescue you today. You just need to be rescued out of a a tempting situation or a tough situation. I know that's a little personal, but nobody looking around. If that's you. Would you just raise your hand to God? Say, God, I need, some, I need to be delivered out of some tough situations. Several hands across the, the room. Thank you for that. Let's all stand together. As we stand together, church, our pastors are going to be down here, our, our prayer counselors. If you want to come and pray, talk to somebody about salvation. Ultimately, you can't understand the truth of God if you've never called on Jesus Christ for salvation. But for the rest of us, we need to anchor in that word. 
and we need to stay away from the false teachers. Father, thank you so much for loving us and for giving through your Holy Spirit the Word of God that we can live Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and we have a path of how, how we can go. God, protect this church and everybody listening today. Protect us against the fake teachers that would try to trick our souls for their own gain. Lord, help us to give ourselves to your word. We know that you can deliver us with your word, with your power. You can deliver us out of the Sodom and Gomorrahs of our life. Thank you, Jesus, for that. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.